and welcome to the Grapeseed Official Podcast. On this episode of Grapeseed Friends, we welcome Kyla, a longtime veteran grapeseed teacher in Japan. Welcome, Kyla. Hello. I'm happy to be here. I've already mentioned it a little bit here, but how long have you been teaching grapeseed? I just finished my 10th year teaching grapeseed. Seven years here, two years in Miyazaki, and one year in Sendai. Yeah, former former co-worker of uh, Bruno and Miklos, friends of the show. Hi, Bruno. Hi, Miklos. <laughs> Excellent. So this year, how many classes are you teaching, or did you teach, because we're just finishing a school year, and what units were they on when you finished? I taught three classes, sort of. I had two Nencho groups, 15 kids each. We we about got about halfway through unit 10. Then first grade, we just started 14, like two lessons in. And sixth grade, we graduated with unit 27 this year. Wow. How many other grapeseed teachers do you have at that school? We have two other teachers. Uh, ah. And we all teach three classes. Though we split my Nencho into two classes, so I had four technically. Yeah, just for the international people, Nencho being like the oh, second, sorry, the, uh, the, the second year of six. kindergarten. Yeah, five mm -hmm. to six years old. Perfect. Now, in all of your experience, you should have a favorite unit, hopefully. What is it and what is your favorite component as well? Ooh, it's a tough choice between unit eight. I love too much pink. I get way too much enthusiasm when I read that story. And uh, unit 11 as a whole is just, there's no duds in my book in unit 11. I love every component very much. Too much pink. That, that's a that's a rare choice for a favorite component. What What's the reasoning behind too much pink? I don't know. I think I just get too much enjoyment out of saying, pink children in a pink swimming pool. And the kids get my enthusiasm and we just feed off each other. It's fantastic. That uh, that's amazing. I, I I don't think I think in all these podcasts I don't think anybody's ever mentioned uh, too much pink. I think we've heard uh, shout outs to Unit Eight being really popular, but yeah, that, that's cool to hear. Yeah, I like that story. <laughs> and Unit Eleven, you said there are no duds. What what is your what is your favorite component in Unit Eleven? Oh, probably Sally. What Sally went down to the ocean. What Sally saw. Okay. Um, Mostly because one, it's just very fun to sing. And two, I've recently gotten into scuba diving. So I pull out all my pictures uh, after that one. Oh, like, look what I saw in the ocean. That's a whole nother interesting podcast we could be having. <laughs> yeah. Let's go back in time here. Your first grapeseed training was quite a bit ago. You mentioned being 10 years under your belt at this point. When you went to your first grapeseed training, what did you think and what were your first impressions? Oh, that one's easy. I was in awe within like the first 10 minutes because there was a video that I don't think's in circulation anymore of some trainer doing grapeseed, but in some obscure African language. And after just a two minute video of this guy doing, this is my family. I was like, I think I could speak uh, this African language now. And I, and I, it clicked that moment was okay i'm sold I'm, I'm i'm in i'm all in tell me more tell me more tell me more that video i do remember that one that one mr marius so shout out if he's listening doing the <laughs> yeah that, that that was a great one and i think it's a testament because you you mentioned that you've been teaching at multiple different schools but you've also wanted to maintain teaching grapeseed no matter where you went so you've been mm -hmm. you've been hooked for quite a while now Oh yeah, I don't think I could teach grapeseed any, or I don't think I could teach English anywhere else because I'd just be teaching grapeseed. 
so I may as well just stick with the license, avoid any licensing issues and just uh, keep teaching grapeseed wherever I can find it. Excellent. You said you were hooked there from the very beginning of your training, but then you had to get into the classroom and actually see grapeseed be effective. So when did you notice that grapeseed was really working for you? For me, I don't know, I've got a, I, this is 10 years ago, mind you. I, I've got a vivid image of a, this little kid. I don't know if I should say names, but he uh, just being so excited to say hello to me. And then slowly he started adding a few more words to it. And I did have the wonderful example of Bruno and Miklos, who already had kids who were speaking amazingly. And I'm fresh off the boat. I don't even really realize what how amazing this is yet until I started uh, seeing it, seeing them grow for myself. Excellent. But I so, can't think of a specific moment. Uh, having great role models and going, I think I can get my kids to do that. I hope. So far in these 10 years, what has been the funniest thing a student of yours has said in class? See, I, I read that question this morning and my mind went completely blank. But I do got, I have two kids in my sixth grade class who are just the kings of finding the most grammatically correct, but totally incorrect thing to say. And they've come up with some good ones over the years, but I, you know, the mind is blank, but for example, it's like, the question is, when do you sleep from way back 21? And their answer when I'm dead, like, oh, <laughs> totally correct. Grammatically correct. Don't say that. Uh, and they love doing that. And I loved encouraging them to do that. And they come up with some doozies but I'm sorry, mind is just, I can't think of a single good one, but they, they were, they did that all the time. Like totally grammatically correct. I'm like, I can't say you're wrong, but you're wrong. <laughs> well, yeah, please, please don't share that in public too, uh, too often with other English speakers. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'm sure there've been some challenges along the way. So what was one challenge you had teaching grapeseed and how did you overcome it? Probably the most notable challenge was when I taught up in Sendai, not at Mason, no worries. I had a, I, I ended up becoming like in charge of a class by accident. And so I was, and I'm fully a believer if you have to speak English all the time, you can't, I, I'm, I'm deaf and dumb to Japanese while I, while I'm in the classroom. And it was hard the first couple of weeks because I got really, really good at charades is what ended up happening. But like about three weeks in, one of the kids came up to me, started speaking Japanese, was very excited to tell me this fantastic story. And I'm like, kid, I'm sorry, I have no idea what you're saying. And he looked at me, tilted his head, and the light bulb went off. And he started using the little bit of English that he knew, which wasn't much at the time, because he was only like unit three. And from that, the rest of the class got easier because everybody else started realizing that, hey, English is actually what I need to communicate. And I don't know if it really qualifies as like a challenge I overcame so much as the kids overcame it for me, because <laughs> I'm not usually supposed to be like in charge of a class the entire nine hours that they're there. Um, so that was uh, difficult. Well, helping them make that realization, I think one of the difficult things about kind of joining a program that's already been started, but maybe didn't start in the most proper implementation setting mm. is that 
maybe that English environment wasn't as protected as, as it should have been. So the kids have never really had to really go 100% English and, and realize that their teacher can't communicate or shouldn't communicate in your case <laughs> with them in their home language. So kind of forcing them to realize that, I'm sure it was a little bit awkward for, for both sides in the beginning, but once that that click happened, like you're talking about, then you're kind of off to the races. Yeah. By the end of that year, we were, uh, we were, we were rocking it. Only like one kid was a holdout and I, I'm not still <clears throat> not certain what happened with him, but that was when I was still fairly new at teaching as well. I'm sure they all have good memories of you. <laughs> well, the kid I was just talking about about six months later, I took a video of him and, it, and that video made the rounds as far as I was told. Oh, that's good. <laughs> Now let's move to props here. What's your favorite prop to use and what components do you use it with? Ah, okay. I thought of three props that I use on the regular. Every year I teach it, I use it. I use a puppet for uh, what is your name? Um, because I have a lot of challenge trying to get the kids to realize I don't actually want them to repeat what I'm saying. I want them to say something unique. And by using my little toy owl puppet, they, uh, that is very useful to get them to have that transition. Mm -hmm. What is your name? Oh, my name's Hootie. Oh, hello, Hootie. Hello, Miss Kyla. And then I use the puppet to ask them the question. That way I can give them some, some help. Like, my name is Ludico, uh, without having them repeat exactly what I'm saying, have that middle ground. I also use a shell for Sally went down to the ocean, but that's more because I live next to the ocean and it's very easy to find a shell. And I almost always find a stick in the woods for unit 13, and I use it as my pointer for the entire unit so they can uh, really grasp the concept of stick. That, that's actually a really good idea. I've never thought of that before, but that totally <laughs> makes sense. And, it, and it, I can't think of something that you could use to substitute for a pointer that'd be more perfect than a stick. Yeah, they get a kick out of it too. They're like, Miss Kyla, stick, stick, stick. I'm like, yes, I know. I'm using a stick. And uh, then we move on. Let them point with the stick later in the unit. They're like, yay, I'm holding the stick. I'm like, yes, bravo. So uh, your your owl puppet, do you happen to have another puppet that might be a blowfish? I do not. Ah, so you, you don't have Hootie and the blowfish in your classroom? I do not have Hootie and the blowfish. Thank you for that you're, joke. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> Moving on here, your class rules. What are your class rules and what do you think is the most important one? Okay, um, I've got three class rules in, that in general, I have found most often I have better luck with the class, especially the Nanchu class, uh, the four-year-olds to five-year-olds. If my rules are somewhat abstract, mostly because I'm terrible at remembering, you know, three months down the line that that actually, that thing I said three months ago is not allowed and you just did it. So anyway, long story short, my three rules are one, be quiet or use English, especially this is Nenchu. It's a very clear line. You can either, you can't speak Japanese, so you have to either no talking or use use what you got. The four-year-olds, uh, yeah. Uh, sit nicely. So if they're on the floor, their hands can't touch the floor. I don't care what other position they try to fit themselves into, but their hands can't be on the floor. Because even if they try to do a funky position, they usually can't hold it for very long. Uh, and or if they're in a chair, they can't play with their friends. So sit nicely. And number three, which I consider the most important one, but it's very abstract, is listen to the teachers. 
because sometimes like little minor rules can change day to day. And like uh, sometimes we need to sit in a strange position. So today we're going to listen to our teacher and sit nicely in this spot. Or maybe we need to be quiet while I'm reading the poem this time. Or maybe we need to talk while reading the poem. Or maybe we need to any of the little just day-to-day things that you can't make a rule about because it either changes or it's really hard to enforce or as the kids get older and they get smarter using quotations here they start thinking of ways to go around it mm-hmm. so instead of just changing the rule constantly because they f- find ways to to circumvent it it's just well here's the new thing right away listen to the teacher not militaristically like and not in a militaristic way but just in a sort of general way if we ask you to stop doing something you must please stop doing it um, that's the most common version for the uh, the the four-year-olds anyway totally makes sense it's a convenient catch-all for everything yeah so that way i don't have to make a separate rule for not touching your friend or not standing on your chair or not standing on the table or not jumping off the piano or whatever their little <laughs> minds come up with it's just okay, you did it once, you're not in trouble because I didn't specifically tell you not to do it, but don't do it again. And yeah. Especially jumping off the piano. Yeah, we don't want to do I did not see that one, thankfully. That was the year before me, but I've heard stories and that's my go-to worst case scenario. (laughs) We talked a little bit before the podcast started recording, but you did have a, a short stint teaching online. Now that's been a tricky transition for a lot of teachers in schools. How was your experience? And is there any advice you'd like to share about it? I very much enjoyed my five weeks teaching online. We had one hour lessons every 20 minutes with a 20 minute break. I really liked being able to put exactly what image I wanted on the screen with the sharing app, the sharing feature, and being able to point to it, highlight it, whatever. It was fantastic. I had a little trouble with the Nenchus, the uh, four-year-olds, because of things like crawl and run was a little hard to get across in my little little space, but I did bring home some puppets and I used them to demonstrate and uh, highly encourage them to do it themselves. Most of them did, uh, if I recall correctly. And yeah, I personally, I would not mind going back to that. I would, I prefer the classroom. I enjoy the classroom most, but I, I had no problem with the, uh, the online aspect. Uh, you make of it what you want, I guess. Attitude is a lot of what makes up how things go. So that that's a good thing to good thing to mm-hmm. keep in mind for everybody. Mm-hmm. Last question here, general advice for grapeseed teachers. Something that you want to share with your 10 years of experience there? <laughs> I know that's somewhat controversial, even among people you work with, but I am a full believer in the absolutely zero Japanese understanding zone. Like they don't necessarily get in trouble for speaking it other than, uh, you know, gripping my pearls and fake anguish <gasps> sort of way, but uh, absolutely zero comprehension on my part until they're at least second grade uh, has been the most effective results I've found. There's always that random one kid in the class who just doesn't get it, but well, maybe not always, but often enough. But for the most part, I find that to be the number one rule that is most important in my classroom. What's with yeah. the, the second grade kind of transition? Can you go into that a little bit more? 
because usually by the end of second grade, they've caught me speaking Japanese at some point or another, you know, your uh. standard, study, something like that. And usually I just take the time out of class at that point, be like, okay, yes, you call me. I live in Japan. I speak 10 words of English or Japanese, 10 words of Japanese. Please excuse me. I'm sorry. I don't understand. I thank you. And then just five random throwaway words and they get a kick out of that. And that's usually the end of the conversation. Um, and then whenever they bring it up again, it's like, I only know 10 words. And uh, by like fifth or sixth grade, they, they know. They know we speak some. But well, uh, they're old enough that they, they let it go. They're like, yeah, of course you know some. You well, it, yeah, it's a, it's a good distinction to make, especially. It's, it's not like... Yeah, usually around second grade, they've, they've caught me at least once or twice. But I've got my standard. I know 10 words. And th that usually puts them off. They're like, oh, okay, you know those 10. I know those 10 in English. So makes sense. A clean and easy way to deal with the issue. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast today, Kyla. It was my pleasure. It was fun. If you have any comments or questions about this episode, feel free to send them into mailcarrier at grapeseed.com. And as always, thank you for listening and good luck in the classroom. Goodbye, my friends. Goodbye. I'm sad to say goodbye. It was a good day. But now I will say goodbye, my friends, goodbye. Goodbye, everyone.